Welcome to Expanding Your Faith, a podcast hosted by Bishop Greer Godsey, the Old Catholic Church's International. Expanding Your Faith brings together a panel of well-educated clergy and laity to discuss modern events with a biblical perspective. Our podcast is about to start. Please stay tuned. to this edition of Expanding Your Faith. I'm Bishop Greer, and joining me this evening is Reverend Mark. Hello. And Father Matt. Hello. Um, Tonight we're going to be discussing the uh, LGBTQIA clobber verses in the New Testament. Last week we talked about the uh, clobber verses in the Old Testament and discussed uh, Sodom and Gomorrah at great length. And so today we're going to switch gears and go to the New Testament and discuss those verses. And um, so, yeah, and get everybody's perspective on that and kind of discuss those. Uh, since this is the um, LGBTQIA Pride Month, uh, the month of June. <coughs> and so I think we will start with Romans. Um, Romans is going to take a little bit of reading to kind of get to uh, the meat of what Romans is saying. So I wanted to start with it first. It's a little long. Um, And that's uh, a verse that is used quite frequently by fundamentalist Christians against the LGBTQIA community. And that is Romans 1, 26 and 27. But to truly understand the verse, you have to, of course, not just pluck it out of context and read it, but you have to read it in context. And so we're going to start with verse 22 and read down uh, in order to get the full context of what's being said here by the writer of Romans. So Romans 1.22 says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling immortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural. And in the same way also, the men giving up natural intercourse with women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in their own person the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetedness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious towards parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, 
They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Yet they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. So we'll start off with Reverend Mark and his thoughts on these verses. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. No. <laughs> well, I, I think I go back to a general overview of uh, anything that we're reading, whether it deal with clobber or whether it deal with interpreting Scripture. Context matters. And obviously, just the beginning of it, you find that Paul's addressing not just, you know, two or three group, two or three people or whatever, but he's addressing kind of a larger, um, a larger group. Sorry, my thoughts just flew out of my head here. You're um, fine. And there's one thing that I was going to draw attention to is a lot of times just in my observance of it a lot of times people will pause in reading further the passage of scripture and not want to finish out the passage of scripture and they leave out a lot of this stuff in 29 and 30 that you're finding is creeping into the church itself. Sure. And yet we're sat sidestepping those issues. It's like over in Proverbs where it lists the things that God hates. Mm -hmm. And um, you don't really find a lot of teachings on those passages of Scripture. So just from the outset, it's... Um, it's definitely a passage that I would say is pecked to death or picked apart to death mm -hmm. to make make their point. And um, so those are my first just quick little observations on that one. Yes. From a historical context, leave it to me, right? Well, that's why I was um, him hawing as, <laughs> as you said, it context matters in the in in the top of the part before you get to the clobber passage. Paul's addressing the whole city of Rome, the whole church community in Rome. So, and what's the hallmark of Roman culture in the fifties? They believe in a pan the national state church is pagan. Primarily, They believe in a pantheon of gods. Mm -hmm. And the pantheon that they believed in was whatever was in favor with the aristocracy at the time. And the Caesar. So there was a cult of Caesar where you worship Caesar as a deity. And then there was the favored god pantheon of the aristocracy. And at this point in time, it happened to be leaning towards the Assyrian slash Egyptian pantheon because they assimilated the pantheons of the areas that they conquered as well as their own that, that, that were original. Well, this happened to be a time period where the Assyrian slash Egyptian gods were 
more highly favored by the aristocracy because they were bringing blessings, blah, 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 from the sacrifices. So part of Roman citizenship was that you had to worship at whatever was the state-sanctioned cult at the time. And it could mean penalty of death. So you could literally be marched to the gladiatorial arena just because you didn't go to temple and do your annual sacrifice. And some of these were sex cults. So for to make sure that the women were able to reproduce and have whatever, you had sex you had a sex cult and some of these included the imagery that we hear. Men were <coughs> around bulls and consuming products from bulls to strengthen them. You can only imagine what I'm talking about because we're on TikTok and you now and don't want to get banned. Um, so that they could have more virility. Women were cuddling up and doing whatever with strange men men that were not their husbands or strange women women that were not of their race to give them stamina to increase their libidos so that they could have children was the was the thought process and paul is saying that this is not conduct that is becoming of our church this is not a pre acceptable practice for us as baptized and redeemed people not that you're an abomination because you're forced to do these things just know this is not what is acceptable in christian thought process and there was a lot of temple prostitution in rome exactly which is a lot of what this is talking about sex with animals and temple prostitution just for clarity purpose, you're referring to it's not uh, acceptable in the temple or not acceptable as far as the exchange with just random strangers? Because that could be left to an interpretation. But the practice of worshiping other gods and engaging in these activities in the worship and edification of a god that is not the god that you have been baptized under and sworn allegiance to particularly not having these activities within the confines of temple, church, yeah. worship sphere. Right. Exactly. And so Paul is, is basically telling them, uh, we're not going to have uh, prostitutes in the Christian church, and we're not going to, you know, doing their work as prostitutes in the Christian church, and we're not going to have sex with animals in the Christian church. <laughs> Even though a prostitute in the year 300 would become queen and make Christianity the biggest religion ever. Um, but here you go. And so it had nothing to do with a monogamous, loving, homosexual relationship, but rather one that was about edification to false gods, edification, um, or the use of... Uh, prostitution and temple practice um, in the worship of other gods. And so it's not about monogamous homosexual relationships. Um, it's not about lesbians uh, either, monogamous lesbians. And so um, 
Paul was just trying to say to the Romans, basically, don't be like the people that you live around. Don't try to incorporate their worship style into Christianity, is essentially what he's trying to say. And unfortunately, um, you know, nearly 2,000 years later, it's gotten twisted into you can't be gay and be Christian. And that's just not accurate. Um, and as Mark said, you have a whole list of things that he also condemns that nobody else wants to talk about. And those things go on in the church regularly to this day. And nobody seems to be upset about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, slandering, gossiping. God, gossiping is just, I'm so sick of it. I just, I can't, it makes me want to vomit so much. Oh, People sitting around gossiping about everybody else. Paul even talked about if you get mad at one another, how you're supposed, to, and you're both church members, how you're supposed to resolve the conflict. That's right. And that doesn't mean you pick up your toys and go home. It means that you go and talk to them and solve the dispute. Exactly. Exactly. And there are so many people that are murderers in the church. I just want to say that. Okay, we have so many murderers today in the church. And you say, well, what in the world are you talking about? Well, when you hate others... And you're out there promoting falsehoods about them and their life and who they love. You know, like the falsehoods about this flag. Saying that it is a, uh, the progressive pride flag is a pedophile flag. You're, you're actively trying to get people killed. You are a murderer. Jesus says that. Whoever says Raka to his brother is a murderer and worthy of hellfire. That's what Jesus said. So when you're out there promoting falsehoods and hating on people, marching with your little signs that say God hates X, Y, Z, um, you've become a murderer. And Paul says that murderers don't deserve the kingdom of God right here in that same passage in Romans chapter 1. So, just saying, I needed to get that out there. No, we were spot on. Feel free. Yeah, because you can <clears throat> slander a person. You can uh, demean people, whether to their face or um, behind their back, either way. And Jesus, is, Jesus taught a principle that if you've done it in your heart, then you've done it. <laughs> and uh, especially when you start adding what did Solomon write in Proverbs? Life and death is in the power of the tongue. That's right. And uh, how many of us are in therapy today or overcoming traumas just simply by what someone not did to us, but said? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, those words just sometimes the physical is easier to get over than what's said to you. That's right. Those words just... But anyway, no, I 100% agree and... Again, the people that talk about, oh, well, you're just cherry-picking the verse, 
They're doing the exact same thing, especially when you're not reading context and reminding yourself that this is, you know, the, these letters aren't broken down in chapter and verses when they were written. This is a whole thing and subject in which Paul's addressing. And for if for people that scoff at the fact that we're addressing church hurt, 75% of the New Testament is nothing but Paul writing letters Correct. to various churches Correct. talking about the things that they're doing to harm one another and harm the name of Jesus. Yeah. So it's like... Right. Yeah. No. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. And for those that are wondering, I am using the uh, New Revised Standard Version, Catholic edition of the Bible, to um, read from. Uh, not the most inaccurate translation of the Bible known as the King Jimmy Version. Um, so we are we are using the uh, New Revised Standard Version. <coughs> Amen. Sorry. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Now, we were just talking about um, how you resolve disputes among people in the church. The first part of this chapter is actually that. Um, if the, you have a dispute. Yes. Um, you know, uh, when you have a grievance with one another, do you dare take it to the court for unrighteous, blah, 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 blah. And then we get down to verse 9 and 10, which is used as a clobber verse. And it says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites. Thieves, the greedy, drunkard, revelers, robbers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you used to be, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So, just a, a quick uh, aside... Uh, the New Revised Standard Version corrects some of the um, uh, corrects some of the um, mistranslations, yeah. And so a center coite, which is a way to translate male prostitute here, but they kept sodomite, um, which is malikos, which is not sodomite. It actually means uh, effeminate or soft. Uh, most commonly translated in the Bible as cowardly, not effeminate. And malikos means basically a coward, someone who doesn't have moral fortitude. And uh, they translate it here as sodomite, which is not accurate, accurate. But, you know, okay, whatever. Added fairly recently, like in... Sometime in the 70s? Yes. Yeah. So. Well, the correction was just made to... No. This is the new release. So this was made... 2000. 2000. So the correction was made 2000s-ish. But the original Revised Standard Version, which had the mistranslation that students wrote about, 
1947. 1946. Or 1946, excuse me. Yeah, and it labeled this as uh, homosexuals and effeminate. And so uh, a lot of ministers preached that it was both the um, receiving side and the giving side of a homosexual relationship. Uh, trying to find ways to say this without getting banned. <laughs> but the reality is it was neither. So, Again, you have a passage of scripture that's cherry-picked and jumped over in order to get to something that is not there. And... Um, Again, a misuse of the sodomite based on our discussion last week. Uh, you know, that original term way back when was addressing people that were inhospitable, that were turning away strangers. And if you look at those passages of Scripture and what it's directly, one reason God got so upset with people that did that is because during the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, you turn away somebody, it may very well be their death. That's right. Because of the wandering that people had. We don't have cities back then like we do now. And so you have these people that are being turned away. And so that was one of the... You were basically sending people to death. And who are we to, to do that? That's right. And so... Um, but that's last week's study, not this week's. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I just simply laugh at the fact that people um, jump into these things. And again, my argument is always context. It's always context to understand where he's going. And he's, he's equating some of these things to people as just as wrong as to people that are having disputes among each other and not going and resolving them. It's on the same level. That's right. You know, why? Because he just said it. If you have a dispute, you have an argument, and then all of a sudden he jumps into sexual uh, discussion and we're supposed to just be like, oh, well, the that doesn't connect. That's not as bad as what he was just talking. No, he's, it's on the same playing field as what he just discussed. That's right. I mean, essentially took the words out of my mouth. But, <laughs> but not only that, but it's like, again, problem solving. So the problem is not... It, the problem is mostly translated and understood by theologians now that you're married, you're committed, and again, it's a conversation of monogamy versus polyamory and what is acceptable in the Christian household. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily, you know, what we would understand it as today it was what their understanding was at the time and they wanted a to show that they were different that it was a committed relationship yes so they were against this fooling around with other people sort of sort of situation 
but have without having the committed relationship aspect. So it, it's kind of like a trying to compare a potato chip to an orange. Um, I think. I know it's weird imagery, but you're you're comparing two different things: our sexual <laughs> ethics of today versus their sexual ethics of their yes. day. Yes. And they don't mesh. That's true. Let's move on to First Timothy one, as we've beaten that horse to death. And it's essentially the same word, but it, I want to kind of touch on a little bit of what it says. We're going to start in verse eight. The verse they throw around is verse 10 in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 8 says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it legitimately. This means understanding the law is laid down not for the innocent, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the godless and sinful, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, fornicators, sodomites, slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted into me. <coughs> now here, the New Revised Standard Version once again makes a little bit of an error because it translates uh, sodomite, uh, the word is center coite, which means male prostitute, a sodomite, <laughs> but as, essentially what they're saying is non-committal, you know, sex for money within you know temple worship type situations um, versus you know a loving monogamous relationship. And I want to talk a, just a second about fornicators because so many people misunderstand uh, fornicators in the uh, Bible because they they take a modern understanding of fornication and for them fornication was about or for today their idea of fornication is anything that doesn't conform to a, um, a heterosexual normative gender sexual identity role is fornication except in Greek it's a very specific very specific understanding of what fornication is. And not to be crude, but uh, essentially fornication is whoring around in Greek. That's that's essentially it. You, you whore around, you, you're a fornicator. Period. It has absolutely nothing to do with sexual identity. It has to do with... Uh, promiscuity, and essentially just going out there and doing whatever with whomever. All right. Whichever one of you wants to take it from there. <laughs> and a brief tidbit about a center coite, too, that yes, was not touched on, is that it's a made-up Greek compound of words. Yeah. It's n not found anywhere outside in in Koine Greek other than the in biblical studies. Well, it is found in one well, place. Well, one, one place. The Syllabine Oracles. And yes. <coughs> but it's not used widely except in our in our realm. 
when discussing these passages because other than the Sabine oracles, these are the only ones place that is found. And in the Celebine oracles, it's uh, a synercoite is actually uh, okay, so I have to explain this to explain that. The Celebine oracles have listings of social ills or social sins, if you were, that can be committed by a society. And they have sexual sins and they have economic sins and they have you know, sins against, you know, one another and sins against the entire community and various different categories of sins, essentially, that can be committed within a society. And in the Celebine Oracles, the word sinercoite is listed amongst economic sins. It's not even listed among sexual sins. And so <laughs> it's essentially saying... That prostitution is an economic hardship on the community. Isn't that interesting? That prostitution is an uh, is a economic hardship. Well, if you're spending too much community. money there and not on buying goods and helping the traders out, then you're creating an economic hardship on the society because money's not circulating. No, words, don't be a King David. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <coughs> Your thoughts? No, I. I mean, it's. I really don't have anything to add. I hate to be that type of person. Oh no, that's it, fine. That's just. Um, because I mean, Timothy is essentially beating the same horse that uh, Corinthians was. Yeah. It's just flavored it different. Let's flavor it with some different language, and so that they don't think that they're give, being given the same advice. Yeah, and then right afterwards, he's he moves right into speaking about grace and mercy and how God pulled him out of being a blasphemer and a murderer and so forth. So, you know, tie that into into your uh, into context as well uh, and so um, and essentially handing down the torch saying that this is your charge now Timothy so so Diamond says can you explain what a center coite means okay so essentially it as Father Matt said it's a made up word it's a, it's a compound of two different words male bed Essentially, um, and so because of the wealth of information we have today about context of what Paul was talking about, the Syllabine Oracles and it being an economic sin, we can piece together that essentially what Paul was trying to get at in combining the two words was to say men who sleep around prostitute themselves in society. It, it's a male prostitute, essentially, <coughs> is what a sinner coite means. <coughs> so you could read the pa so you could read the passage of scripture saying, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing prostitution. Yeah. So. Exactly. <coughs> and just delete the word sodomite out of it altogether. Yeah. Now, uh, recently. 
a lot of Christian fundamentalists have come to me with a new clobber verse. Just what we need, right? Fresh off the presses. A brand new clobber verse. Because this verse has been in there. I mean, I know the book of Jude hadn't been around for like 2,000 years or anything, you know. It's not like it was in the original canon or anything, right? But uh, suddenly, <laughs> um, a lot of fundamentalists are starting to use Jude 1-7. Or just simply Jude 7. It's, uh, there's only one chapter of Jude. Um, to uh, attack LGBTQIA individuals. Um, and the verse uh, reads, Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which in the same manner as they, indulged in sexual immorality and um, pursued unnatural lust, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And verse 8 says, Yet in the same way, these dreamers also defiled the flesh, reject authority, and slander the glorious ones. So, the words here, it's, it's kind of interesting. Sexual immorality and, and pursued unnatural lust uh, actually are better translated probably to fornication and strange flesh. But the unnatural lust that it's talking about, it's a very specific word in Greek that refers to activity with animals. It's essentially the Greek version of the word bestiality. Okay? And so, what Jude is condemning here is whoring around, fornication again, and bestiality. And he's saying that Sodom and Gomorrah participated in those things, and that's why they were destroyed. <coughs> Jude also ignores, of course, Ezekiel and Isaiah, which make it very clear that that's not why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. But uh, Jude gives us his own spin, bless him, in making that clear. So once again, it's a prohibition against bestiality and against um, prostitution, essentially. Yeah, here you have Jude bringing in a new little spin on what Sodom had uh, going on. And like you said, Isaiah, Jeremiah uh, already tackled those. When you read s some of the original commentaries on, again, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis, you find, again, hospitality, rejecting those strangers, which is essentially back in that day, sentencing someone to death because you weren't extending grace and mercy and compassion. And, um, of course, my, my take in Sodom and Gomorrah uh, as far as the uh, physical abuse that they did to strangers was also a practice in that day. Yes. Um, some of that physical abuse would be considered sexual 
but again these people weren't just simply doing male on male because they were all gay so uh, that's you know my interpretation of that but again the primary sin was clearly stated in Jeremiah uh, in Ezekiel so do we want to touch on transgender in the Bible while we're sure here we've got a few minutes so um, uh, we'll talk about what Jesus says about transgender individuals and for that we need to turn our Bibles I hope you all brought yours tonight to Matthew chapter 19 and in Matthew chapter 19 we're going to scroll down to around uh, verse 10 We I want should to turn my blind by line off. <laughs> we want to get down here to that. While we're, we're flipping to those, a lot of fundamentalists also point to the fact that the Bible repeats the thing God created them male and female. And so a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife as a prohibition against homosexuality. Nowhere in any of those scriptures does it say only. That this is the only valid representation of marriage. Because as we've talked about before, King David had 600 wives, or 500 wives and 600 concubines. And concubines could have transgender individuals, cross-dressers, women, intersex. I mean, it could be made up of a lot of different types of people, not just women. And so, you know, the Bible never says only this. Because otherwise, David wouldn't have been a man after God's own heart. He would have violated God's law. And that would have been that. So, all right, Matthew 19, starting in verse 10. His disciples said to him, If such is the case... Of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to this, said this to them, Not everyone can accept this teaching, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Now, what were eunuchs in Jesus' day? So, anybody who had anatomy that nobody could explain at the time, a.k.a. intersex people that we would have today. Or? Or people who um, had gen- genital modifications so that they could not reproduce or have go through puberty. Yes. And what was the third class? There was a third one. They had their entire reproductive organs removed. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And that could be male or female. Male or female. Born, you know, assigned male at birth or female at birth could have their reproductive organs removed and they would automatically have been classed a eunuch. 
In other words, they were the original transgender, transgender individuals. It was clear in the um, throughout Old Testament scripture that you had individuals like this that were a part of kingdoms, a mm-hmm. part of um, high-ranking officials. It wasn't like that Jesus just come up with this and this was new to his day. That's right. And so, um, um, without going into a lot of detail, a lot of times kings and individuals that were um, concerned about their queen's safety, they would bring in gay people or they would bring in eunuchs that would serve around in the in the uh, in the palace and so uh, Christ's language here is very interesting because anytime Jesus goes outside of the out of the norm Uh he'll use phrases like he did here or they that have an ear let them hear Uh or if you can, if you can catch this, then blessings to you. And it says, uh, the one who can accept it should accept it. So to me, this person or these individuals and these people that are in this lifestyle, and or in not lifestyle, sorry, in the, my brain is not working tonight. It's okay. In this, uh, uh, in this position of who they are and their authenticity are obviously going to be met with uh, some difficulties mm-hmm. and we see that still to this day where people who live into their authentic selves based on what society says is normal and we can get into that type of discussion on multiple levels you know boys have to act this way girls that appear to be female have to act a particular way and so once the two that are appearing as uh, an assigned gender at birth don't act like that then all of a sudden you know people start losing their oatmeal their grits and their shits (laughs) and so (laughs) so um, obviously Jesus is tackling a very uh, a very outside of the norm subject but I appreciate the fact that it was in left in the scripture for us to pull from because here we are today still having the same discussions on people that um, are trying to live authentically mm-hmm. live who they are and met with obvious I mean there's nothing new under the sun disdain because they're not in the "Quote unquote normal," and I hate I hate that phrase. It's to me, it's such a disgusting phrase. <coughs> they don't fall within the gender norms, the mm-hmm. gender binary, and because right. of that, we we tend to treat them as less than or othered or othered. Yeah. Well, the gospel is so clear in the presentation that we're just supposed to see people. And that God loves people. 
in the famous passage with Paul, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male or female in the kingdom, slave nor free. That's right. And um, you know, how many times Jesus was looking, and I mean, he turned over tables in the temple because they were sitting there um, def- bringing such dishonor to the temple of God and one reason that they were doing so is you have people that are ushered in because of status and you have people that are ushered in because they are preferred and 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 that you know the message of Jesus there was stop treating everybody with all this you know the person who appears to be different than you versus the person that you are you know has the status quit treating them so separately That's both right. are loved by god both are embraced by the creator That's right. and so um i have not really 100 percent sure where i was all going with that but that was what was <laughs> on my heart well and i think this is an important uh um message you know as we wrap up the discussion on all of the different clobber verses is the gospel message, the, the message of the Bible boils down to, as always, two simple messages. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, love is the foundation of Scripture. And far too often we take pieces of Scripture out and we use them to marginalize people so that we have some sort of God-given, air quotes, God-given right to discriminate or not to love them or not to treat them as God or Christ would treat them. And, you know, that's where these clobber verses come into play time and time again, is people use them as an excuse to hate other people. Well, even Jesus warned against beating people over the head with the law or um, you know the, the practices set forth in the Old Testament scriptures and I mean who did who did Jesus come after the hardest in his language right and and that was the people that were standing over that had the scripture and that were looking down at everybody else based on their knowledge which we understand puffs up because if you take it and you don't embrace it with that message of love God love yourself uh, or love your neighbor as yourself then you, you begin to just beat and bash people over the head with particular scriptures thinking oh well this is you know this is how this is what God would want to do I mean if anything, we should see example after example, Jesus meeting the woman at the well. How many passages of Scripture did he pull out <coughs> and start wailing into her about? None. And yet, people think that that's the way that they're to do it. And, you know, I have a theory based on my observation mm-hmm. is when you're not l- allowing god's love for you to fill you up you have nothing left in the tank to pour out to somebody else 
and therefore you have to pull something along or something out of your repertoire and you have to just use it to defend your position that is again not meshed with the spirit mm -hmm. the letter killeth but it is the spirit of God that bringeth life mm -hmm. and so when you mesh together what scripture is saying with the intent from the heart of God then that brings life but when you're pulling it out because you're not comfortable with yourself and you're not able to go and be that person that God's called us to be in the world and that's the light of and the love of God then you're tapping into whatever you can find and that is weaponizing Bible yeah. and it's not a new thing for us priests in the old covenant and in Christ's mm -hmm. day, we're doing the same thing, yep. and they. <laughs> how many times do we have to read about being humble mm -hmm. and being, you know, serve one another, you know, reason together. If you have an ought, come together. We we don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. We're not doing that now. We're not trying to do that now. We're moving over into. Um, over into that combative stage of life yep. and um, understanding that and, and making it militaristic. Hurt and people hurt people. Correct. And you know, I was raised around that mess, you know, where we would take, uh, you know, the weapons of our warfare, not carnal, but they're mighty through God, pulling down our strongholds, casting down our imaginations, yep. and every high thing that exalts itself against knowledge of God. We put on the breastplate of righteousness, take out the sword of the Spirit, and um, so on and so forth. And we miss the fact that we wrestle not against people, that, it's a, it's, that we're dealing with that unseen realm. But yet we're wanting to take how we deal with the unseen realm and apply it to the natural realm. And what happens is you're perverting how to combat things in the spirit how you touch the natural realm <coughs> is the same way that you affect the supernatural and that's through God's love and light and God's compassion and God's grace and God's mercy that's mercy right. and let's not forget that it's the goodness of God that leadeth all to repentance that's right. and repentance is just simply turning and going in that different direction uh, it's not the let me beat you over the head, tell you how much of a worm you are, and that'll that'll get them in. It just it doesn't work. No. No, and and that's why Jesus gave us the whole um, dissertation on worry about the plank in your own eye before the splinter in your brother's. You know, that's you know more important for us to focus on the things that we don't have right yeah. than it is to focus on everyone else's, you know. It's not my job to police other people's lives. Mm -mm. It's not my job to tell you you're a sinner going to hell. It's my job to live my life in such a way that others look at me and go, hey, I want what he's got. I want to be like him. But yet, who are the majority of the... <coughs> the Karens in the world 
mm. are these wonderful women that go to church Bible study three days a week and whatever wear the sign of the cross on their on their clothing to outwardly project that they are Christ followers, but yet they treat people like crap. And how many times did um, how many? And I hate to kind of fall into this argument, but how many times do we see people get up and that are the most hateful or aggressive in their communication from the pulpit <coughs> or from a political office coming against? the homosexual community, the LGBTQIA community. Right. And then it, it gets uncovered that they're either doing what they're accusing all of us of doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or um, they're, they're actual part of the queer community and, yeah. pract- you know, and, and uh, but so far up in the closet that they don't want anybody to see them. And see, that's the type of stuff that Christ warned against in that passage. You watch for your own self and stop worrying about the speck in everybody else's eye. That's right. You know, am I living for God? You know, what I do with the things that God hands me is between me and my Creator. It's not, well, you know, Father Matt over here, if he'd have done X, Y, Z, I'd have been better. Mm Mm-mm. Because yep. when we're, it's given to us, we have a decision to where we're, what we're going to do with it, what we're going to do with that light in that life. That's right. My responsibility is to simply live the life of Christ. That's right. Period. Period. And what, what you do with it is between you and the Creator, but my responsibility is to live the love. That's right. Well, I think that is a good stopping point. <laughs> in our discussion tonight uh and so we're wrapping up now the clobber verses against the lgbtqia community we had uh old testament last week new testament this week and next week we're going to move on to a new topic and um, i think that we're going to probably do uh dispensationalism next week <laughs> uh as we have kind of leaned that way the last two weeks in some of our additional discussions um, uh, about these clobber verses. So we will next week talk about dispensationalism, which will be a fun topic. Uh, you'll get to hear Reverend Mark get all worked up. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And so uh, until then, uh, we hope that you will keep shining bright, our friends. Thank you, uh, Reverend Mark and Father Matt, for being with us tonight. Thank you for being Thank with you. us. Yeah. Have a good night, everyone. God bless. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Expanding Your Faith. For more information on Expanding Your Faith, check us out on facebook.com forward slash expanding your faith. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you find your podcasts. Until next week, when we once again attempt to expand your faith, keep shining bright.